Welcome to That One Show with Brian Combs, and this week I have a guest, Mr. Travis Talbert. Uh, we're going to be talking about his new album, Tony Delk's 53-point game, uh, among other things. How are you today, my friend? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. First off, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. I appreciate it. I always enjoy interviewing guests, especially musicians that I like. Uh, so it's a pleasure of mine to be able to talk to you today, man. Let's see. So obviously we're going to talk about your new album, uh, and it's under the uh, artist's name is actually Mavis Guitar, correct? That's right. Yeah. My, fir my first question to you is, is there a meaning behind that name, or is it just um, something that you randomly chose? No, it's uh, I named it that the first record I ever made is Mavis Guitar. Um, I dedicated to my mine and my wife's Boston Terrier that uh, she died probably like 2015-ish when I, and uh, she had, I don't know, she was only four years old or something like that, but she had some sort of cancer that um, when we were finding out that she was sick, she would just lay around the living room and I wrote most of the tunes that were that record with her just kind of laying around and then it seemed like a, a good uh good little tribute to her our pal i had a, a boston my wife my wife and i actually got a boston terrier right after we married and we had him for 14 years uh, okay so the, uh i'm i'm partial to that breed of dog it's a great breed me too i just yeah every time i see one I just, they all look so similar yeah, yeah they do they do yeah you just feel like you you know every one of them if you see one of them yeah mine ours his name was boomer named after yeah. the great quarterback of the 80s from since for the cincinnati yeah. Bengals, of course boomer assassin yeah. so um i have to say that if they gave out you know, a Grammy Award for Best Album Title. I believe my vote <laughs> this year would go with this one, Tony Depp's 53-point game. I, mean, <laughs> I I love that. You know, as a music fan and obviously growing up in Kentucky, I've always loved Kentucky yeah. basketball. Tony Depp's one of the all-time greats. He won a national title at UK back in the 90s. So I'm guessing you, yeah, for sure. if you're not a UK fan, you definitely are very much aware of them to, be, to name an album this, right? Well, yeah, um, and it, it was kind of a combination of, uh, of, yeah, I loved UK basketball so much growing up. And then my brother is playing all the drums on this record. And that photo that's on the cover, that is from March of 1996. That's during the tournament. Is that you and your uh, brother? That's me and my brother. Awesome. There. Um, yeah. And yeah, he would, my brother was always the one to probably to, to take the side of whoever everybody else in the house was rooting for. So he had that, he's wearing that Marcus Camby Jersey. Yeah. I saw uh, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I loved the, I loved UK basketball so much, pretty much till probably I'd say like two or three years after that photo was taken. And I, I, I had already kind of plateaued on my, my physical abilities and my, in my height uh and around that time is when i got into the guitar and that you know that that became the thing that i thought well i'm going to do this and i've done that ever since but but we were talking uh, he and i will just get on the phone every once in a while and just talk about uh random minutia but a lot of times old sports things and i don't remember which one of us was looking up 
weird statistics, but the Tony Ducks game 53 point game was in the NBA, and it's one of the most unlikely 50, 50 point plus games because he didn't score a single three pointer, which That's is crazy. Even harder for him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and he was known as a three point shooter. So, yeah, sure, that, yeah, that was very much an anomaly. Let's, you mentioned your brother played drums on this album. So let's talk about the personnel, what all instruments everybody played. I'm assuming you played, did you play more than one instrument on this album? I'm guessing yourself. Well, my brother will played the drums and everything else you hear me. That's what that's, I kind of assumed that. I just didn't want to jump to that conclusion though. So what all instruments did you play then on the album, Travis? Uh, well, guitar, the uh, you know electric guitars uh there's a little bit of pedal steel on there bass piano i guess that's it i played a microtonal guitar that's kind of weird uh and for those who have not listened to it hey I, I highly recommend you do uh hopefully this will get somebody that may not be familiar with you or your work listens to this episode they'll dive into it afterward it is an instrumental album that's uh, right yeah, so for whatever reasons, uh, you know, I, I, I stream a lot of my music through iTunes just because I can do the family plan and my daughter can have her own account. It yeah. saves me a little money that way, but it labels it as jazz. Would you agree with that? <laughs> well, I find that flattering. I'm a, I love jazz. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I, would, I would hesitate to label it that only because I think that not unlike any other really common uh, genre name that's kind of loaded up for people in a way that I think a lot of people that rely on words like that, they don't want to be surprised by uh, somebody's categorization. So I'd be comfortable calling it jazz and elements of it, but I think that's for the person that's really relying on that categorization. I think that's just going to, irritate them yeah and i have to say i uh i was actually when i first listened to it you were kind enough to send me an early copy in preparation for this interview before it got out on the release date and i yeah. had no idea that it was an instrumental album until probably the second song in i realized that it was going to be a totally instrumental album yeah that's not necessarily something i'm normally drawn to but i love this album man i i really did and i've played it several oh, times that. uh it's got uh, it's got a, a great vibe to it, for lack of a better word. Uh, well, thank you. I, I really enjoy listening to it on my evening walk. I like to walk for about a half hour, give or take, and it's right at that you know amount of time. I think the album's thirty some minutes, so it's, oh, yeah. it's it's perfect for me just to uh, you know put my earbuds yeah, in on think... at seven o'clock after I've had dinner and go for a couple miles walk, and it's just puts me in a good frame of mind and a good mood. It's and even though there's no lyrics, to me it's it's a very upbeat and happy album as crazy as that sounds just by the you know the music itself is it, were you necessarily going for that and compiling the songs or i don't know that i would necessarily say that i had any kind of intent well i do have intentions on things like that but um uh, first off i'm really glad to hear that that it it makes you happy it seems like and it's uh <laughs> shooting shooting something that you're doing that is uh you know i love taking a walk i uh, um, i'd say one of my favorite things about music and the, playing the guitar is just the the nature of what i think it can convey that some things some other kinds of 
uh, of of art or you know just discussion they can't convey and i think music's really great at conveying a feeling and a yes. lot of times the feelings that i want to get out are hopefully happy because i'm turning them into music um or even taking things that were bumming me out or whatever and just trying to exercise them somehow so yeah i, I think i'm always trying to um take that and funnel it into something that i can convey what what it felt like to me yeah to make it and one thing that struck me on after probably my third or fourth listen is how connective the music is on the entire album even though it's technically eight songs it's almost like one long song it just the way each song goes into the next one uh so can we talk a little bit on how you decided to structure the album as far as what song and the order in which they appear? Yeah, I, I guess I appreciate, I appreciate you saying that too. I, these are all kinds of things that I really do kind of obsess over and think a lot about. <laughs> it's nice to hear somebody appreciate it. Um, uh, I would say that, you know, the same thing you said, it's about a half hour. I always think no matter what kind of record you're trying to make, a half hour is probably about the perfect amount of time. Or even if you can get in a little under, you know, uh, try and make your record like Redheaded Stranger. That's a perfect record. Yes. All those really? songs. You know, um, but I guess I'm I'm kind of hopelessly devoted to the uh, the notion of an album, like a record album. Um and I'll, I'll always try and even if I'm making something that's going to be a CD or if it was just going to be streaming or whatever, I always wanted to have that pacing. I think that that's a there's something inherently nice about the the physical limitations of a, a record and how it gives you two sides and you can kind of have two halves of a story and then maybe you split those up somehow on the, those sides. But um I think the the first song in particular, because my brother is on the record and I had um, I hadn't had anyone else like in the band, so to speak, for years. I wanted the first song to kind of start out just me and sound kind of like what the older Mavis guitar records have sounded like, where primarily acoustic instrumental things. Um, and then when Will comes in, he gets kind of two bars playing drums just to say, here I am. And then then we kick it in. And and, the and then song... everything else, I, just, I was going to say everything else, I just try and flow this, mm -hmm. whatever the the story feels like from there. Yeah, and the, the song that you were referring to as the opening track is Formica Point. Uh, That's right. If anybody hasn't listened to the album yet and it's a very strong opening track, uh, and and I'm glad to hear that you did, you know, intentionally uh, put a lot of thought into the sequences of the song, because like I just mentioned a few moments ago, it just flows so naturally that if you just, you know, put the CD in and didn't even look at the front or back and let it go, you may even think it was just one 35-minute song jamming like maybe fish in concert or something, you know. Man, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
let's talk a little bit about some of your uh, musical influences and some of your other work, and then we'll get back into the album here just in a moment, because obviously we want to talk about a few more of the songs. Uh, what uh, you just mentioned, you know, Redheaded Stranger, so I'm assuming you like Willie. What are some other artists, current or past, that you really enjoy that maybe influenced you as a young musician when you first started learning to play guitar? Oh, when I first started playing guitar, it was all about Freddie King, Albert King, Albert Collins, um, and that kind of generation of electric blues guitar players. Um, yeah. And I kind of found all of them through the portal of Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mm, okay, yeah. And, and I just loved all the, those guys so much and that, you know, there's something very fierce and immediate about the way that the way that they played um and i still love all that a lot um and then you know it kind of, that kind of took me into the Dwayne allman and then if you get into Dwayne allman you get into all the things that he played on and, um you know all that where does that lead me like leon russell and all those uh like that whole Tulsa area. I'm kind of obsessed with that right now. I'm reading that Leon Russell biography that just came out. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh, let me ask you real quick. You mentioned, yeah. let's talk about the physical release of this album because it's unique in the fact that if you, anybody follows you on social media, when somebody orders one, you actually pretty much hand make the, the, you know, the, the album cover before you send them the CD. Correct. Forever that's order. right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that's really you know an independent artist <laughs> you know i mean the very definition thereof i mean i don't know where else you would actually get that ever yeah well i mean there's still people that i think have a lot of personalized touches that i that i've always like my my favorite band of all time is a band called dead moon that was from oregon oh yeah the uh, Pacific North. Yeah. yeah yeah okay yeah, yeah. uh um, my bad yeah, uh, even it's close enough. Everything's a million miles a apart out there, even though they say it's all one region. That is true. Uh, oh man. Um, but but I always felt that well, and I, I, you know, you know, the independent. There's a fine line between independent and control freak that I'm, I'm probably <laughs> uh, walking that line. But um, yeah, I don't know. I've always done that. Mostly because I, I haven't ever had very big aspirations for these records other than that I just like making them and I like putting them out. And if anybody enjoys them, that's great. But um, when I, when, you know, I did this with my brother and when we were finishing up mixing the last thing, I remember just saying, that this was fun, Will. And he said, yeah, it was. He, was, he said, we, we should probably play a show. And I thought, oh, man hadn't even really considered that um but so i don't know that was a good kind of push to see if i could you know if we could make it a like a proper release and i think it's been it's been hugely rewarding how it's been received um from just all my friends and you know people kind of that i know peripherally um and then even people that i don't know it's it's been very affirming yeah and you mentioned earlier you know very briefly 
uh, about listening to music on vinyl. That's how I actually prefer listening to my music if possible. I have a very mm -hmm. extensive collection. Uh, I usually try to make time uh, at least five or six nights a week towards the end of the night to, you know, just listen to an album to try to wind down from the day. Yeah. I, I'm not sure whether or not you ever plan to release this song vinyl, but if you do, I'll be first in line because the, the, I just think that the, the warmth of this particular album would be so perfect for that format, man. And like you said, it's the perfect uh, length, about maybe 17 minutes per side, yeah. side A and B. And, it, and to me, it would be a great Sunday morning album to spin on vinyl while I'm getting after I've slept in a little bit and I'm drinking my first cup of coffee. <laughs> well, you know, if anybody out there that's listening, you know, feels like they want to uh, go in on a, a surefire money loss, <laughs> uh, I'm very easily found. <laughs> uh, let's circle back real quick. You mentioned Dead Moon, and many, many years ago, I'd never heard of that band. And oh gosh, it's been well over 20 years now. I was at a Pearl Jam show in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they uh, were playing Daughter, and then they kind of tagged in It's Okay from Dead Moon. Oh, yeah. And I really liked that. And this wasn't, you know, at a time to where you could just pop, open your phone right there during the concert and see who that was. I had to actually, you know, go to Google. See my arm. From, from, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. You've got that <laughs> tattoo. But I looked them up and got into them a little bit because of that. And I had I'd never heard of them up until that point. But yeah that, that is an awesome song no one's ever listened to it go out and listen to dead moons it's okay oh yeah uh, it's the best yeah i absolutely. found them through the same it was the same thing i found them through pearl jam tagging them on that yeah they were in, in the touring band video and uh they did that right as sub pop had released that two disc anthology mm -hmm. and i remember buying that at a store called phil's here in uh where i'm from and and it, it's so raw and immediate and genuine sounding that um, I, I work at a record store in Cincinnati called Shake It that we play Dead Moon pretty constantly around there. And there's a handful of things that if you play, someone will always come up and ask what that is. And Dead Moon huh? is is the the, the pen, like uh, the epitome of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's pretty cool that, that you and I had the same experience on how we found that band. Yeah, I was uh, super excited as soon as you said you heard them through Pearl Jam. I was like, I, I can totally <laughs> relate to that. <laughs> um, let's talk about your the record store you work at real quick. I, uh, it's yeah. it's a really cool record store, and I know you all put out a few like exclusive pressings uh, as far as color variants and goals for a couple hours. I think you all have done an Arlo McKinley like exclusive yeah, we color before. Yeah, we, we've done a couple with him. Um, we've got a great one right now from a band called R Ring. That mm -hmm. is, uh, that record's, uh, you know, not, uh, it's on Don Giovanni Records. We just did a, it was us and a Omega Records did a split because um, it's Mike Montgomery, who is, he's in a band called Ampline, Thistle. He's been kind of a stalwart of the community around here. He's a great dude. Uh, he has a recording studio called Candyland here. It's him and uh, and one of the Deal sisters from the Breeders. And mm, oh, one of my favorite bands. Awesome. Yeah. So, yes. so they've and this is I think the third record they've done, and um, and it's just really great. But we've done we've done that. We did an exclusive 
color for Jeremy Pinnell, uh, you know, who, who we, uh, we all dig. Uh, oh, yeah. Stuff like, yeah. Yeah, I, like I, I'm glad you mentioned the breeders. My, I have a 15-year-old daughter, and she is an aspiring bass player, and she idolizes Kim Deal. And, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, let's take a real quick break. We'll come back and talk a little bit more about the new album as well as uh, another one of your bands, uh, Frontier Folk Nebraska, and, and whatever else comes to mind, man. All right, great. Hey, I want to tell you all real quick about the brand new presenting sponsor of that one show, the Goblin Trading Company. They make all kinds of cool stuff, shirts, t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs. Uh, they do a lot of D&D type merchandise, but they also have the, a bunch of exclusive that one show merch. Uh, they've got me as a goblin, they've got me as a superhero, a Funko Pop, all kinds of stuff. You can get those on hoodies, coffee mugs, t-shirts, whatever you'd like. Check them out at etsy.com backslash shop backslash goblin trading. I'll also have a link straight to their store in the show notes of this and every episode of season three. Once again, for your official one show merchandise and much, much more, check out my friends at the Goblin Trading Company. we're back i'm talking with my guest travis tauber today and he and i are both music fans he's the only musician of the two of us uh talking about his new album uh mavis guitars tony delk's 53 point game uh but let's i'd be remiss if i didn't bring up frontier folk nebraska one of my favorite bands uh let's talk a little bit about them man or, or what are you all up to nowadays uh, together separately whatever well, we have some stuff in the can, kind of, that we did probably in 2021. Um, and yeah, then, me- what were we going to say? I remember y'all teased out like a picture on social media a year or so ago. Of a, said you all yeah, were we did that. And, and then um, three, three-fourths of us kind of fell into doing it. We were touring with Arwell McKinley for about a year. And... um and then it was time to do something else. And um, we just have, I don't know. We've been doing that band. I've been in it since 2007. Mike started it in 2006. Um, so that's, you know, it's kind of a long time to do it. So we've been, I think everybody just kind of has been enjoying the break. <laughs> I, I guess the last proper release was Freaks. That's right. Yeah, and that one came out kind of a few months like we were set to do a tour like a, a march south by southwest you know couple week tour uh in the the week that everything stopped um and i don't know that was i think not unlike a lot of our friends it just kind of changed everybody's expectations of things and then just what we felt like doing so it's it's not, um, every, you know, we're all like Mike came and opened up the uh, the Mavis guitar release show. Elijah, who's 
the drummer for Frontier. He was playing guitar for me for that night. Uh, I'm doing a sh- another Mavis guitar show here in May that Matt's going to come play guitar with us. Um, and Mike's got this great new band with uh, a bunch of guys around here called River City Diamonds that that he's doing stuff kind of, uh, I think they're going to get ready to go make a record. Um, and then he's also been uh, working with a, a friend of ours uh, in Cincinnati named Tommy Capel, and they have a band called Casual Participant that, oh. uh, that they've been making records. But I don't know, you know, we're just going to, the car is uh, is real well taken care of in the garage, but we haven't got it out of the garage for a little bit. And I don't know. I don't know when it's going to be time to cruise around again. Um, let me, uh, you just mentioned that, uh, a show in May, do you have, you know, a specific day and location for that? That's something that if my schedule out, I like kind of like to check out myself, man. Well, it's going to be in Illinois. We're playing in. Ooh, okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, I would love it. You should come. It's at, uh, it's in Tolono, Illinois, which is just, just a little South of Champaign. It's at, um, our friend Matt's bar called the loose Cobra, which is just one of the, the greatest places on earth. Um, well, that's a, a perfect segue into uh, my next question that I'll preface by saying that if for whatever reason someone listening has never heard of Frontier Folk Nebraska and they ask me personally where should I start, I would, and this is the few times I would do that for any artist, I would recommend your all's live album. This one's for the kid in the back that was recorded at the Southgate House because to me, you all were and still are a fantastic live act. Well, thank uh, you. And that's kind of up until I think that album came out like in was it 16 or 17 or something, somewhere around there. But yeah, something like that. So it's kind it, of, you know, yeah. without having a, you know, a greatest hits compilation, it's it's kind of, you know, hits from all the albums leading up until that. You figured out exactly what we what we were doing. <laughs> um, and that brings me to my question. That was recorded at the Southgate House, which for my money is one of the five best venues, I, uh, you know, music venues in the nation yeah uh give me a couple of your favorite venues that you've played and then one venue that's like your main bucket list that you could say travis we're gonna let you play any venue in the world for one show what would that one be so i guess that's kind of a two-part question yeah um i've got to play a lot of a lot of cool places that um there's a there's a real, just like a great place down in uh, Austin called the Hole in the Wall. The, uh, not, uh, the Hole in the Wall is great. Uh, the Sidebar that we've played a bunch of times for South by Southwest parties that's always been real hospitable and nice. Um, I just like playing at uh, Blind Bob's and the Yellow Cab Tavern up in Dayton, Ohio. I think no. those are great places. Um, the Southgate House, we, we sometimes just talk about that it's ridiculous how great of a venue that is that it's just right here um and it's so supporting and morella that that runs it she'll just you know she'll take care of anything we want to do there um yeah she actually she has ties to uh breathitt county kentucky where i'm from some of her family so i I know her a little bit in passing and she is a, a champion of all music, no matter the genre. I mean, yeah. you could show up at any given night at the Southgate House because they've got th- technically got three rooms, 
uh, one right. roommate, uh, you know, they may be just having an open mic night and then you, uh, a folk singer in the next room and then death metal and the other one all at the same time. And I don't, that's yeah. very unique, very unique for any music venue. Yeah. And that is all, that's, that's all accurate. Um, but yeah, well, the, the loose Cobra there in, in Tolono, Illinois, um, you got to play at the Fox theater out. And I think that's in Boulder, Colorado. That was nice. a really great one time. Um, all those, uh, all those places have been really nice. So where would you want to play? Uh, can you give me one venue that you would love to play before it's all said and done, man? Well, you know, I would still just love, I guess, probably more than anything to get to play in the Ed Sullivan Theater because I was, I was such a David Letterman fan growing up. Like even from, I was born in 84, but when I was only like two years old, I was already staying up and watching Letterman because my, my mom liked watching it. And uh, I would just sit there and they said I would just yell Dave at the TV. And there was, you know, that was, that was pre Ed Sullivan theater. But like, I remember the, I remember Jay Leno taking over Carson and thinking I'm not a Jay Leno guy. I'm, I'm a Letterman guy. And then, you know, they moved into the, uh, into the Ed Sullivan theater and obviously, you know, the Beatles and everybody else that played that, um, that one would be, that'd be pretty surreal. That or like Austin city limits, something like that. would be pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I too was a huge David Lehrman fan growing up. I was born in the 80, so I'm just a few years older than you. Yeah. But man, I can remember watching him pretty much every night starting in, you know, the early to mid nineties. Oh yeah. And, I mean, that was just what I went to bed to every night. And, yeah, uh, the same. And, I, and I'd be remiss since we're talking about that if I didn't bring up Paul Schaefer, who I don't think gets enough credit for what a phenomenal musician oh, man, he is. That whole, man. Band, that whole band, like, especially if you go back and look at all those years that the, the band would be whatever the guest was, they were that guest band. Yeah. Yeah. They, those guys are all just lights out good. And, and I don't know sometimes if people appreciate how how hard it is to be such a chameleon the way that they were every absolutely, night yeah, for whoever they were playing for. But yeah, I was, uh, you know, I still love wearing bright colored shoes because Sid McGinnis always had real bright colored shoes playing guitar on there. Yes, sir. Um, I, it's all funny. Those guys were awesome. Uh, we'll get right back to the album after this, but I remember in the mid nineties they. Paul and the band every night for, you know, it seemed like maybe a couple of weeks uh, as a bumper coming back from commercial or going into commercial would play an instrumental version of Pearl Jam's Black. And oh, just yeah. out, of, out of nowhere, Eddie Vedder, one night when they started playing it, showed up and just like sung the chorus and then just walked oh, off and dropped, literally dropped the mic. Do you remember that? <laughs> I don't remember that. You that can get on YouTube and, and look that up, man. It was one of the craziest things I've, I've ever seen. But let's let's get Thank back you. to this album. We've got, you know, a few minutes left here. Okay, yeah. Uh, can I ask you, uh, you know, you and your brother obviously are on this album. That's pretty much it. Yeah. The recording process of it, did you all kind of just jam and then find your groove and say, okay, that's a song? Or did you go in having, you know, the music for a lot of these songs written already? Or at well, least in, in your in your head on, on the sound that you wanted? Well, pretty much, not pretty much, everything on it, 
the the way it would break down is you know I, i'm always kind of writing stuff but i would write a tune i would record it on my own all the stuff on my end uh with a click track on and then i would send that to him he recorded all of his drums to that on his own sent it back to me and then i mixed everything oh so, so you all for the most part weren't even in the same room not even for the most part like completely we never none of it is uh i, I don't know if i should tell people that or not it doesn't matter it, i say all the time uh, i think of the time petty one about nobody cares how you made a great record they just care <laughs> that if you, if you did um but yeah that was kind of uh it was by necessity mostly because I, I did a bunch of touring that you know the year that we were doing it and so i would just be kind of picking away at things and then when when we would have a break and i was home i would record stuff and try and construct the song and then i would send it to him and i think I, maybe on the first one or two i had a part that i put in there that you know i either like set up a drum pattern like a rudimentary idea but then after the i think the first one i just sent him sent him something and said what would you do and he would do his own thing and a lot of times it was it was very different than what i would have ever heard for the drum part and i i liked it better honestly um and short of maybe telling him hey you did this can you you know can you maybe switch around the way that you were doing that groove or something like that most of the time it was it was pretty seamless i would just send it to him and he would what he did worked really good that the fact that you all weren't in the same room kind of surprises me, to be honest with you, Travis. I would have never, ever have guessed that just listening to well, that. Maybe we shouldn't tell anybody, but you know, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I always think it's good to. Uh, I, I like records that have like a sense of uh, fooling you. Um, well, that's that really did because it's almost like I would have guessed specifically on a couple songs that you all may have not known where you were going and just kind of started playing and then fed off of each other while you were playing. And I guess in a sense, what you just said, you did that, but you just wasn't doing it live. You were doing it by basically just sending each other's parts back and forth. Yeah. And I mean, I, I kind of try and uh, it'd be, that'd it, be a whole other discussion, but I try and when I make things, I try and set up uh, spots that I can improvise my, you know, as well and then the other thing that i will do sometimes is i'll just play a lot and i'll use uh the power of like of being able to just chop pieces out and fly them around kind of the like a, a much quicker version of what uh, i've read charles mingus used to do where he would he would have his band play a section of an like a big piece and then he would just splice things together to kind of create an arrangement that that would have you know that would have logistically taken them too long to for studio time and then to get everybody rehearsed in a way that he that, you know that they could do it efficiently with the means that they had that he would just say like all right let's practice this section we're going to pick it up at the tempo that we were just playing and you know uh i kind of like the idea of using the the studio as the, an arranging tool or something like that. Uh, yeah. Uh, real quick, before we go, we've got a few minutes here left. I know yeah. you've, you've done some session work. Give us maybe one or two albums that you've played on 
for other artists, you know, uh, at least a song or two as far as the studio. Well, goes. Um, I mean, obviously I call this Frontier Records. I'm on all this, but those, those aren't for anybody else. Um, I've done a bunch of stuff for a, a friend of mine named he goes, it's William Russell Wallace, and he's a, a Cincinnati guy that um, is now, uh, I think he's in Missouri right now. He's been all over the place. Um, always like hearing his records have played. Uh, I remember like one of the first things that I got asked to play steel on was for this band called the smug brothers who are, uh, Dayton, Ohio, Columbus people that are, that I dig. Um, I just did, uh, a song for, um, now I'm blunt, like, I want to say Austin, the song's called fly me to Austin. It's coming out. Um, a West Virginia guy, Brandon, Oh damn! I'm gonna have to tell you the name because I'm, I'm talking myself into Austin. Um, but I got this year has been really great. I got to play on um the the do Buffalo Wobs and the Price Hill. Ooh, Hustle nice! My favorite bands. Love I Casey. Got to play on some of those, and then uh, I got to play. It really is kind of the biggest honor to me i got to play on the new wussy record that is coming out nice. um sometime i guess towards the end of the year um, oh cool. well those are the things off the top of my head uh well um before we go i want to thank you once again travis it's been a great conversation about your music about other music uh really enjoyed this and my favorite song off the album if i have to pick one but like we discussed i don't think you can really necessarily separate the songs uh <laughs> uh it's beachcomber i'm gonna play that to end the show here just in a second so if if you were on letterman at the ed sullivan theater this would be the time in which yeah. i say here's mavis guitar off of their new <laughs> album and, and hold up a copy of those that you hand wrote man but this is an oh, audio podcast great. uh and not a not a a visual podcast but that's cool so i go feel ahead just as honored all the same man. <laughs> nah so Introduce this song real quickly, and I'll play it to close the show, man. And thanks again for coming on. So this is a song called Beachcomber that is about my inability to enjoy myself. And if someone says that you have to take a vacation or tells me that I have to relax. Um, so it's a mix, mishmash of time signatures to, I guess, probably uh, relate to the fact that I can't feel comfortable. <laughs> all but right I thanks think, but i but i appreciate it all right thanks again for coming on and this is beachcomber from mavis guitars tony depp's 53 point game thank you
That one show is brought to you by The Goblin Trading Company and is written, recorded, and produced by me, Brian Combs, most of the time right on my kitchen table. If you enjoy this show, I ask that you please share it with others that you think may like it as well. And in the meantime, check out that one show on social media, either on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or all of the above. Thanks for listening, and until next week, spin that black circle.